It's a heavy burden to bear, I know. <laughs> okay, thank you, and uh, welcome to the sequel, as Reed put it, for the Make Disciples class. Um, and we started out last week, of course, talking about what is the whole point of this. It's for, obviously, making disciples. And within our church mission and vision, that is the first pillar, make disciples, multiply parishes, and plant churches. And so, obviously, we wanted to zoom in on something that is a key foundational effort for the mission and vision of Sojourn Montrose in the neighborhood of Montrose in the city of Houston, Texas. So, who knows how to make disciples? All right, you should at least have 50%, right? Because that was the first class, and then, okay, that's a bad joke, too. Um, But uh, let me pray for us, and then we will get started. Lord, thank you for the opportunity together with the saints and with the covenant members here at Sojourn Montrose and uh, in an effort to live out your call, your proclamation, your design for how you bring people to your table, how you bring people into your family. Um, It is an honor and it is a gift to participate in that work of ministry. And I pray that by the Spirit that everybody in this room would see it that way, that eventually... Um, over time, that this entire room full of people would see sharing the gospel and making disciples as their secondary calling apart from glorifying you, and glorifying you being the primary calling, um, that making disciples actually does that. So, um, we ask these things in Jesus' name, we ask that you would bless this time, and that you would open our ears, and allow us to hear what needs to be heard and receive it well. In Jesus' name I pray. Again, <laughs> amen. amen. Okay, so I had two homework, or I had a homework assignment that, compi- that was comprised of two questions. So the first question is, I need one or two volunteers, if there's eager ones out there, to share maybe a very s- small snapshot into what their plan is for increasing hospitality in their lives. Not all at once. All right, my lovely wife in the back. There we go. Yeah, so Tate said, as far as the plan is concerned, making it more accessible or more sustainable, I think is the word that she used, and that is based on not having necessarily this whole production, which is what Cole talked about last week. It doesn't, it's not entertainment, um, it's hospitality, so we give what we have, and what we have may be beans and rice on any given night, um, and I think that our culture certainly gets us into a situation where, where's that light? Okay. <laughs> Oh, that was good. All right. So our culture would tell us that beans and rice is not good enough. You need to have something more extravagant. You need to have wine. You need to have an appetizer. You need to have all this stuff. And that's what you're going to need to be able to have to be able to entertain well or host well. And the truth is that that's not true. Um, Beans and rice is perfectly acceptable. It is edible. It is delicious even if you put certain spices in it. Um, And then through that, that allows us to invite people into our home. And we don't have to feel ashamed. We feel actually very overjoyed that we're just allowing people and inviting people to come to our table. All right, that was one. We got another. Okay, so learn it. So this is a great first step is learning your neighbor's names. 
Um, James lives in an apartment, and he would like to know the people that live by him. That is a very, it sounds actually simple on paper, but I realize that even in doing that and taking those first steps, it all can also be a little bit scary too. Um, so thanks for sharing that. So I hope that over the next couple of weeks or months or even years, um, everyone in this room does have the opportunity to continue to develop and work on their plan. Their plan may change as you change, as your scenario changes, as um, the circumstances or the events going on in your life change, your plan might change. Um, but ultimately, still, the goal is to be hospitable with what you have, when you have it, and where you have it, right? I think Cole mentioned last week that God does not ever get your address wrong. So where you're living right now, the space that you inhabit, the place that you work even, is sovereign in its ordination, and God knows where you are. He's placed you there, and he is using you to his goodwill, right? Okay, so thank you for sharing. Second question that we had, um, a little bit more open, but it was, uh, I said, I think I said something to the effect of what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? So, words to live by. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? So, what I said in the, in the thing, apart from that overarching question is what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that there is implicit and explicit descriptions of that. Um, does anyone want, care to explain what, or maybe throughout, what is an implicit way in which we share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Being hospitable. That's exactly right. It is the first week. All the stuff that we talked about in the first week about hospitality is exactly that. That is, an, that is a tangible way in which you do share the implicit gospel of Jesus because you're having people into your home in a Christian home that looks different. We said that the Christian home will look different, that Christian hospitality will look different. And when you invite someone into that, you're naturally placing someone in a space in which the gospel could be shared or the gospel is felt, right? It's that feeling, the feeling of being a Christian, um, Jesus said they'll know you're Christians by your, our love, right? And so when we love tangibly, we are sharing the implicit gospel. But the reason I asked this question, obviously it was leading, was because there is a whole other part here, which is the explicit, what is the explicit gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. So before we do that, I wanted to point out this, um, the triangle here, again, the three tables that we talked about last week. So Cole told us about how at the top we have the Lord's table, right? That's the communion table over here um, in Sojourn Montrose. Um, but in general, it is where uh, we gather as the saints to commune with God through the blood and the bread, or the wine and the bread. Um, in the middle one, we have the parish table in which we at Sojourn Montrose have our weekly formal gatherings as parishes and that we gather around a table, we share a meal together, and then depending on which parish you're in, you do some sort of um, reading of scripture or praying or sharing or reading a book, whatever it might be within your parish gathering, there is spiritual conversations that are had and likely the gospel shared explicitly too. So the last one, your dining room table. And this is what we talked about last week in the hospitality sector of inviting everyone in to be around your dining room table. So when we invite people around our dining room table, eventually we'll invite them, or immediately, we'll invite them into our parish gathering, so that now they're sitting around the parish table, and then by God's grace, hopefully, um, to his good pleasure, they will eventually sit around the Lord's table as a beloved brother or sister in Christ. So the question that I have in that is, what did y'all grow up talking about around your dinner table? 
Shout it out. Anything. It doesn't have to be one person. What happened that day? Okay. What else? The food. How good the food is or how bad it is. <laughs> Did someone say something else? Something you learned at school. Laughter. There's a laughter. There's feelings of laughter and comfort and peace, right? Or not. It could have not been that. Sometimes you fight at the dinner table. Yeah, so all of these, you got something? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so all of these things that were, that were examples that we talked about around our dinner tables growing up, and, and I, will, I will say that many of you may have had a negative experience with the dinner table. That's perfectly okay. God, ha- God is, can, and will redeem that um, throughout time because, as we see here, he's eventually moving us towards his table. But the reason I ask this question is that if at the Lord's table, what do we talk about around the communion table every Sunday? It's, the fo- it's grace. It's formal. We have a liturgy. There's a sermon, and we're talking about the gospel. All right, what do we talk about around the parish table? A little bit of both, but likely the gospel is shared around the parish table, right? Yes? So, what do we think we should be talking about around our dinner tables? Yes. Okay, great. So now within this combination of your day, um, your struggles, your concerns, the things that you had fun with, um, what you learned in school, all of that, um, all of that is still valid. And I'm not saying get rid of any of that. I am saying that as we continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and as we are hospitable and bringing people into that, that now we can start peppering our conversation with the gospel. And this is what the point of this class is, um, especially the second piece. So um, we talked about implicit and explicit distinctions. Um, and so I have a couple more open-ended questions that you don't have to answer, but I just want you to think about it in terms of the rest of this class and how you should posture yourself, I think, how we should posture ourselves in terms of what the gospel message is, right? Um, Do you believe, do you really believe that you need the gospel message? Do you believe that your neighbors need it? See, these these should be, the answers to this question is yes, absolutely. But on top of that, if the answer is yes, what fears, anxieties, or concerns do you have in sharing that gospel message? Because if you believe that you need it and you believe that they need it, what's stopping you from sharing it right now, today? apart from the fact that they're in a class. <laughs> it won't be received well. That's a legitimate fear. Doing it wrong, saying the wrong thing, that's a legitimate fear. Judgment from the people that you're sharing with. Or giving judgment. Or they're too far gone. So within all of that, these are legitimate fears, and so what we are moving towards then is gospel fluency, right? We, I, I, we, our hope as your pastors and elders here at Sojourn Montrose is that everybody in this room, after they leave tonight or over time, will be able to readily and willingly and quickly be able to share the explicit and implicit gospel message at any given moment. That's the goal, because you never know when you're going to get that opportunity. We can create that for ourselves. We can use the first week's con- content about being hospitable and stack the deck, as it were, in our 
favor, where we have people around our table that are willing to listen. But ultimately, then at that point, the call is important. You do need to be able to share the gospel in a tangible way, in an explicit way, in a way that makes sense. So that's what we're here to talk about. Um, and I will say that, like, misconception, the fear of saying it wrong is a legitimate fear for two reasons. One, um, because it is a little bit scary. Um, but two, because I think that we have to have a healthy fear of the fact that if we are misrepresenting that, although God's grace can cover all over those things, misconceptions of the gospel are often what get people in a completely different sphere than what we're even talking to them about. Like, if you can think through right now, you don't have to say it out loud, but think through any time that you've had a conversation with anyone about Christianity who is not a Christian, and what were their, like, how do they react to that? More often than not, my guess is that it was, they had half-truths, um, outright lies, um, or only parts of things um, that were pick and choose. Like, a very common one, well, I thought if you're a good person, you go to heaven, and that's what Jesus says. That's not the gospel, because he never said that. <laughs> In fact, he said, like, almost the entire opposite thing. He said, you're no good. <laughs> only I am good. And that's a huge misconception, right? Like, how could someone get the gospel if they have the wrong foot to start in the very beginning? So, having a concrete and accurate presentation does matter. With that being said, um, we're going to work through, it's going to feel a little luxury, I'm sorry. But in order to do that, like the, the end goal of all of this, like I said, is for everyone to be able to walk out of here with concrete examples or concrete ability to share what the explicit gospel of Jesus is. And so I'm going to go through four sections um, that will talk really in depth about what the gospel is. And then after that, we'll have a lot more audience participation and we'll be able to talk through some Let's do some brainstorming, that kind of stuff. Y'all tracking? Okay. So, um, we're going to start with the big one, and that is the question, which is, what is the gospel? <laughs> so, any good teacher will answer their own question, and so I'm going to answer it for you. Um, in the beginning, God created a good world, and it was free of sin. His most beloved creation, humans, were made in his own image and were created to be in communion with him. His intent was for Adam and Eve to steward over the world he created and by design fill it with more goodness. And that could be children, that could be cultivation, um, that could be growing the garden in any way that you can think of there that is good. Through their selfishness, pride, and moral failure, sin entered into the world and all of humanity fell from the grace of the garden and separated from God. And Adam's legacy is one of death. Adam rejected God's ultimate purpose for him and his wife by disobeying God's command. Where does that leave us? We are sinners, both by our actions and our legacy. As a result of Adam's legacy, we are born, this world separated, born into this world separated from God. And furthermore, by nature of our sins, we are enemies of God and allies with the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. We are children of wrath and live according to the principles of the flesh, meaning we worship our own bodies, we worship our own minds, we worship what is created rather than creator, which is what it says in Romans 1. The cost of our sin is death and a debt to be paid. God in his holiness is utterly separate from sin, and without God we are broken, enslaved, and unable to fix ourselves. Because God is holy, he has established a standard. No one could live up to the standard. Most people reject the standard. However, even for those who recognize it, it is impossible to achieve righteousness through it. In other words, no one can reconcile to God through the law. Without intervention, we would die in our sin and be forever separated from the Father. To be with the Father is to have life, to have peace, to have freedom from death and darkness, to have joy, to have contentment. God was just in his righteousness, 
but he also loves us, and we are still his most beloved creation, even today. Therefore, Jesus was sent to redeem his people through his life and work. He completely fulfilled the requirements of the law to be righteous before the Father, which was the standard, which was impossible for man. And through his death, the sin of the world was nailed to the cross, and the record of debt was canceled for all who believe in him, meaning it's sufficient for all. It could save everyone, and it's sufficient for some. It is for those who believe. This moment in time, this historical event was where redemption was accomplished on behalf of all mankind for all time. Jesus died only once, was raised, and has no further sacrifice to make. It was completely sufficient for all who believe. The legal requirements of the standard were fulfilled, and through the miracle of the gospel, the benefits of Christ's work were applied to us. The Father then fulfilled his ultimate promise to raise Christ from the dead. Because of his resurrection, we may also experience new life and hope that our dead bodies will be resurrected. Literally, our dead bodies will be raised from the ground. When we believe in the resurrection through faith, we receive the blessing of redemption applied. In other words, the accomplishment of Christ is applied to us through faith when we believe in him and his life, work, death, and resurrection. The accomplishment of Christ is applied to us when we confess our sinfulness and how we have ultimately fallen short. When we ask for forgiveness, we believe the truth of Jesus and him as the only way to reunion with the Father and declare that in the same way Jesus is Lord of all creation, he is Lord of our whole selves. Through Christ's resurrected body, we are made alive in him, so much so that we are promised eternal life. Through the resurrection, Christ has defeated death and put all of his enemies to open shame. He is currently ruling and reigning over all the universe and will do so forevermore. The gospel proclaims that God is the true God. He is holy and the world is not. He has seen fit to make known the riches of his grace through a chosen people. He did so by the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of his son. And through his son's work, he has created a people for himself. Through those people, he is continuing the work of reconciliation and renewing the face of the earth, which leads us to do not assume that people have a good understanding of that gospel. And that is the explicit gospel from start to finish. There's many books written. John even says it. There's so many books that are ever be written about Jesus himself. And there's the Bible itself that talks about that. But this distilled down into what we think is the most um, important of all those aspects is there. That is the explicit gospel, and I'm sure that if you ask people questions about that, they would have questions. (laughs) They would pause. They would probably denounce or criticize. And like I said before, one of Satan's best tactics is half-truths, convulsion, misdirection, and false gospels. And this is why having a solid understanding of the gospel and being able to articulate it is essential to the work of ministry. Okay, so now that I went through all of that, who feels that they could like regurgitate everything I just said? I didn't think anyone. It's okay. You don't need to be able to say it exactly like that. That is not what I'm saying. In fact, if I had to go through it from start to finish without my little prompt here, of course I would miss some things, perhaps. But ultimately, using the scriptures, this is what I wrote. I wrote this out, reading the Bible and having feedback from the other pastors about what the explicit gospel is. Okay? So, All of those things um, and being able to present that message from start to finish is, again, the goal ultimately. And it feels like a lot. It feels like a huge, it feels like like an elephant that you're taking, like you're trying to to do. But the, the truth is you have the Holy Spirit embedded in you that lives in you. Um, and that because you're the temple of the Lord and that God has chosen to make his home in you, he will honor this message that is being shared and will work through you to make sure that what needs to be said and what needs to be heard will be heard. I trust that God is good in that way. 
And that's another way in which faith makes a huge difference and it makes a huge impact. It's actually critical to our success there. Okay. And why does God want to do this? So the next thing, the gospel is God's power to save, right? So this comes from Romans 1, 16 through 17. It says, does anyone want to read that? Would anyone mind reading Romans 1, 16 through 17? I would have done it, except I didn't have a Bible. I came unprepared. <laughs> Go for it. Thank you. So a couple key phrases that stand out. This is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is actually the power. It is the mechanism in which God saves people. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So it's faith in what or in whom? What is Paul saying here? It's from faith for faith, beginning with faith and ending with faith. And what is the mechanism of salvation? It is in this verse, and it's saying that the gospel itself is the power of God to save. And what does that mean? By faith, people hear the gospel and receive it. They have faith that it is true. They have faith that their death and sin can be overcome and that life is available through Christ. So, is it necessary for the gospel to be proclaimed? The answer is yes. So, when, we, when, God, when Paul writes these words and says, it is through the hearing of this word that God will save people, does that not inspire in us some desire then to go share those words? Like, that is the call that he's saying. And I think that I would, I'm sure that if we polled everyone here, I hope, 100% of you, if asked the question, do you want to see your neighbors come to Christ, you'd say, yes, of course you do. And I believe that. I believe that everybody in this room. And what we're saying is that, if, that in believing that, it is important to then go that next step and actually share these words because Paul is saying that's how it happens. If you want to see your neighbors come to Christ, at some point, someone is going to have to share the explicit gospel with them. All right? So, what is the ministry of reconciliation? Because who is going to do this? Who is going to be the people that share this gospel? Well, of course, it's us. The ministry of reconciliation, uh, excuse me, the ministry of reconciliation is the work of God's people. So this comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Um, would anyone want to get that one real quick? Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you. 
Okay, so let's break this down. So, quote, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So what do you take away from that? The word that sticks out to me here is persuade. So our work does involve debate. It involves time. It involves thoughtful argument. It involves the ability to talk through the details of what we're saying. Um, it involves listening. It involves hearing a response. It, was, it involves being able to sit and go back and forth from time to time with that. Next thing, one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. This should be an encouragement to us because we work not for ourselves, but for the kingdom. The work that we do um, is not for building our own castles, which we talked about last week. It's not for guarding our time and guarding our um, space or our resources. We ultimately are able to offer all of those things up to this ultimate and primary thing, which is in sharing the gospel. So in, in sharing that and doing that work, like you're doing the work of ministry and you're serving Christ, you're serving him directly. And being that first conversation you have with a neighbor, this, I literally picture this, this is like Jesus is looking at you and going, yeah, that's my boy. That's my girl. They're doing it. And they're doing it for me. And I'm glorified in that. And they will be blessed because of it. That was a promise. Next, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So, let's have a little whiteboard moment. What do you think an ambassador does? Represents. Clarifies. Ambassadors represent. They clarify. They advocate. Educate. They negotiate. Mediate. They're diplomats, right? They do speak with authority on behalf of them who sent them, right? All right, who here feels like they fulfill all of these things, or even some of these things? Yeah, some, for sure. Yeah, speak confidently. You should. Yeah, this is the work. This is the work of ministry in which we are ambassadors for Christ. So we are mediating. We are speaking on Christ's authority. So when you come in, just like you would, like think of your favorite political drama or whatever, and like the ambassador diplomat comes in and like shares this message that's really important. They're like off with their head and they kill him. And it's like, you know, I, I'm not saying that we're going to die necessarily, but we might, I don't know. Um, ultimately in sharing this message of Christ, like through that moment, um, we don't speak on our own authority and therefore are, have nothing to be ashamed of. Like we have, we have no reason to not share this message which has been given to us that's not our own. It's not our own thought. It's not our own original idea. It's not something that we're investing all of our fortune in. Um, well, <laughs> we are investing all of our fortune in because it comes from Christ, but ultimately it's not like a stock investment or something. Um, like when we're doing that, like we are speaking on behalf of Christ and with his authority, we can walk in fully unashamed and fully ready to receive anything that's thrown back at us. So if you are reviled, if you are spat in your face, if you are given death threats, 
which again, I hope doesn't happen, I pray it doesn't happen, but it, it could. What you have to stand on is the life, death, resurrection of Christ himself. And you've already, in accepting that and believing that through faith, have put your whole life in that anyways. So why not? Why not share it? Yes. Um, we, we come to declare not war, but peace. Not, not shame, but freedom. Not guilt, but grace, right? It, like, we are ambassadors of the best message that we have ever heard. In the name of the best person we've ever walked in with. In the name of the good God who created everything. This is, in, like, when we understand ourselves as ambassadors with this authority, Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. I think that, I mean, I agree that that's incredibly key is that we're not coming, a, we're coming in a peace envoy in many ways, like you're saying, um, with this good news. That's what the gospel is, the good news. Do you remember the ambassador that reached out to you for the first time? Do you think of them as an ambassador? I think that's a, I think that's a really wild thought, actually. I haven't even asked myself that question. But I'm asking it now, and I'm thinking back. <laughs> I'm thinking about what it, what it felt like to have, and there's probably more than one, too, um, but to have these people who came in the name of Christ and spoke peace over my life and spoke acceptance and spoke forgiveness. I mean, how good did that feel when you heard it for the first time and believed it? Man, what, a great, what an honor to be able to come in that place and share that message with people. And that's what, that's what Christ is asking us to do. And again, this is, this is not something that is, it's not toil in the way that we, we have to go to it begrudgingly. But if you capture that feeling of remembering what it felt like to be told that the first time and knowing that you have the opportunity to stand in that place of honor and share that good news, it's a gift. It's a gift to you. And what, what an incredible design that God has chosen to save people through his people. I mean, he could have decided that I'm just going to do this all myself. Y'all can go just sit in the playroom. You don't need to do anything. Um, and I think if we're honest with ourselves sometimes, I mean, I have been like, God, why don't you just, can you just please, can you just please do this? Which he is doing it. But he's also saying, but come on, come with me. Come with me. And that's what we're doing. So, I mentioned that. What is God's chosen vehicle? We, we talked about this idea that um, we're getting to, I think it's, I've heard it before, we're getting to go to work with dad, which is cliche, I know, but like we're ultimately, we're going to work with dad. Like we're going to do the things that he's doing that he cares about, and we're joining with him in his work of saving people. And the way that he's tried, or he's decided to do that is ultimately through proclamation, that we audibly speak or write in words <laughs> this gospel message. And this ultimately comes from the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 8, uh, 28, 18 through 20, and then even Romans 10, 14 through 15. It talks about that specifically, which we'll get into in a minute. But if we look back at Romans 1, 16, if the gospel is God's power to save and we are the agents of this ministry, then how is this work carried out? So then, this is the Great Commission. 
Um, the commission, actually, if you go read Matthew 28, that word commission is not in there. It's not in the text at all. Um, this is extra biblical through church tradition in which we have added that into what Jesus' message is at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. So, um, what does the word commission mean? What are we actually doing when we're commissioned? No. Sent. Tasked with, charged. Shared mission. Think of it in terms, again, of your ambassadorship. If you, you're empowered. As an ambassador, you're empowered in your commission to, yes. Your responsibility. It's your job. It is a duty. Yeah, so this is ultimately, it's a command to go. Like, to go make disciples. That's what he says. Um, So if we go back to looking at what disciples are, which we talked about a lot last week, we talked about the fact that disciples are followers of something, a way, a people, a group, a person. In this case, when we're talking about making disciples, we're not making any disciples, but we're making disciples of Jesus himself. So... We have discussed hospitality as the means by which we garner that audience, right? We're going to then, like, around our dinner tables, we're now going to start having these conversations. So what else happens? Um, In the ministry of proclamation, once someone hears, like, through that Great Commission, right, go, what, actually, can someone read the Great Commission? I keep saying it over and over, and we should have read it. Can someone read Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Absolutely. Amen. So, on his authority, he has now made us ambassadors to go make disciples and baptize them. And without belaboring the theology of baptism, simply put, what do we say or require when we baptize people at Surgeon Montrose? We sent out a whole packet about this about a couple months ago. Um, It says in the packet, in other words, we are saved as we appeal to God for forgiveness and new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism signifies that our sins are washed away in Christ, our new and eternal life has begun, and the Holy Spirit has come upon us. All of these realities are given to the baptized person through the faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. And if we go a little bit further, when we talk about our liturgy in the baptism packet, when we go through the liturgy of an adult convert, it says, the first question we ask is, do you acknowledge your need for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? The answer is, I do. And the second question is, as you are baptized into Christ and into his kingdom, do you renounce Satan and all the forces of evil, both natural and spiritual? I do. Three, do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? I do. Four, do you commit to a life of repentance and faith in which you will put off the old and sinful things of your flesh and put on the new and holy of the Spirit of God? I do, and I ask God to help me. So at the core of, the, of baptism is the proclamation of the gospel. Like, so in the very beginning, I walked through that really long thing and everyone's eyes got really wide and we're like, I could never talk through that in the way that you just talked through that. You can. But even this, this little section right here is a proclamation of the gospel, right? And it was one paragraph, four questions. In this commission, we teach others to observe all that Jesus commanded. And how do we do that? How does one follow Jesus? Um, Paul makes it clear in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that the that the Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. So at the heart of the gospel is a brazen and wild claim that Jesus literally was dead and then he was raised back to life. And there's no, there's, there's no other way to interpret that. Many have tried. Many false gospels have tried to do that. Many half-truths have do that. But it is the linchpin of the gospel message. And if we look forward in 1 Corinthians 15, if that's not true, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then this is a waste of time and y'all should all leave right now. Seriously. We're fools. We're fools. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, if he is not a physical resurrected being right now, a human body, then everything that we're talking about doesn't make sense. It won't. And this is where you get into the whole, Jesus was a good moral teacher. No, that's not enough. Well, Jesus was a good leader. No, that's not enough. Jesus died. He literally died. He literally took on your sins on the cross. He paid that debt, that penalty that was for you, for your death, and then was raised to life in, by the Spirit, and then didn't stop there. He actually brought you with him, and he said, hey, everyone who wants to follow me, you will have that same life that I have right now, which is resurrected, which is glorified, which is beautified. Right? And so, like, we believe that in this room, but try walking out on the street right now and telling someone that a dead body was raised to life, and they'll probably laugh at you. And so that's what we're dealing with, but that's the truth. That is the truth, and that is what we're ultimately going to have to share if we want to see that mechanism of proclamation take root and see people come to have faith in Christ and get to sit around the Lord's table. So if we go through the mechanism itself, if we go through the reverse, actually, well, here, read, someone read Romans 10, 14 through 17 for me. Excellent. Thank you. So let's do the reverse of this. So at the end, in verse 17, it says what? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What are they hearing? They are hearing your gospel message. We are sent, which is the commission, the ministry of reconciliation that we just talked about. We preach. We preach the word of Christ, the gospel message, and literally Christ himself. What happens then? After we preach, some hear that. Some. Some hear those words when they are explicitly told about Jesus some literally then believe that what you're saying is true. And in their hearts, they believe in the resurrection. And then through that, they call upon Jesus for salvation. That is the mechanism. They hear because we are sent, because we preach. And then they hear and they believe and they call on Jesus, right? So at the root of making disciples is the literal proclamation of the gospel message to people who do not yet believe. I can't say it enough. So does this mean we fulfill our commission simply by walking into H-E-B and shouting? <laughs> is that a way to do it? Maybe. But there are other ways of accomplishing this duty as an ambassador. And it takes on the whole council of Scripture, all the things we just talked about, being an ambassador. Using the, he erased it, but that's okay. Using these terms um, about being a diplomat, about being a speaker of peace, about being someone who's speaking on Christ's authority. Through that ambassadorship, we preach these things that we just walked through in Romans 10. And God saves people. It sounds overly simplified, I know, but it's also hard to do, or it feels hard to do. So that gets us to the part that I'm really excited about, which is 
how to share the gospel, okay? So at this point, that was the lecture portion, okay? So everyone can breathe now. This is like all the, re- all the reasons, all the ways in which we have talked about how, what the gospel is, how God sends us to do it, um, how we are proclaiming, how that's the vehicle in which God actually does it. So literally through hearing the words of Christ, literally through hearing the gospel message, people will be saved. That is what God has promised. So now the question is, how do you share? So let's look at Luke 10.1, um, or actually Luke 10.1 through 12. That's a little bit longer of a passage, but would someone read that one for me? Thank you. So what we see in Jesus's ministry, even prior to his death and resurrection, is him giving us a little bit of a blueprint about how to be sent and how to go, right? So in Luke 10, 1, um, he says, he sends them out and he says, or he sends them to every place he himself was about to go, right? And there's a crucial element in being sent and praying for the Lord to go before us and come behind us. So we first, we said it last week, right? We first start with prayer. And so where you are in the space that you're at right now and the place that you live or the place that you work, um, you have ultimately, like we're already there, you've been sent to that place. We already talked about that sovereign ordination, right? So you've been sent to this place and you're there. So now what do you do? Um, he, Jesus follows up what to do with this exact, excuse me, this exact charge. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, meaning yourselves. Pray for yourself and other Christians that are around you to work through that harvest, and it's interesting that we're told to pray for workers, not necessarily for a sturdy or plentiful crop. Um, he doesn't actually say, go and do a rain dance and make sure that all this comes through. He's praying, we're praying for the people to actually go do the work of ministry, the work of reconciliation. We're praying for ambassadors. We're praying to be those ambassadors. Because Jesus already said that the harvest is there. Like, we don't actually have to, we, don't, we do want to pray for the softening of our neighbor's hearts, but ultimately what God's saying and what Jesus is saying in this is that, like, I'm already, I'm already planning a harvest, and I want you to go do that work with me. We are warned of lambs in the midst of wolves. Um, and they're enemies of the cross for a reason, right? Like, it, it says, Paul uses that language a lot in his letters in which he says, like, we were at odds with God, or we're enemies of the cross. Um, we we're far off from God, but God brought us near. So, like, ultimately, we're, they are named enemies for a reason, um, and we've even talked about it in our First Thessalonians series this summer that we are waging spiritual war against the spirit of the age and of the devil. And it is both right to expect pushback and right to continue fighting. 
um, our spirits themselves are secure. So as we are sent out as lambs amongst wolves, we know that our bodies may be destroyed, but our spirits will not be. And we do not fear flesh and blood, but we do acknowledge that there is danger in the sense that there will be people who do not gently receive your message or are hostile to you. And we need to acknowledge that, one, because it's true and God like, promises that, that that will happen. Um, but two, so that we can name those fears and cast them out, right? And if we can then proclaim the gospel with that ambassadorship in mind, knowing that there might be hardship, knowing that there might be um, places in which we are derided or which we are, feel unsafe, like psychologically or even physically, like those are spaces in which God will give ultimately his protection in the sense that like he is, he's, already, he's saying that the harvest is there, that he wants to send people to... I'm losing, sorry. He wants to send people to actually work that field and work that harvest. And so with that in mind, if we have faith that he rose Jesus from the dead, then we can have faith that he'll be faithful in that. Okay? Um, moving on later, then it says we come, like, we come in peace because it says that we're sons of peace. The violence that was carried out on the cross has made way for declaration of peace, is what Reed was talking about earlier in our ministry of reconciliation and the ambassadorship that we have in proclaiming peace. So when we enter into people's homes and bring them into ours, we are free from the burden of antagonistic or bullish approaches. So this is like, um, we don't have to beat our heads against the wall. We don't have to beat our Bibles on the table because that's not ultimately what is being asked of us. In this crisis, actually, in this call in Luke 10, he says, seek people of peace. And again, you are an ambassador. Speak on the delegation authority from your true kingdom and look for people who are ready to receive that message. Now, the trick here is that you don't ultimately get to decide all the time about who is, like, who is ready to hear and who's not. Again, we talked about the fact that your address is not wrong. We talked about the fact that you are sent to a place and you're in that place at a particular time um, and season. And so ultimately in that, your first call is to go forth and to proclaim that message freely. Now, if you are met with derision and if you are met with the ultimate pushback, I do believe and we believe as the elders that there is a space in which you can step back and still remain peaceful. Um, you're not disengaging, but you are maybe taking a step back and saying, okay, I hear you. Let's just be friends. Keep coming to my table. Keep coming over for dinner. We don't have to talk about that right now. Like that is an option. Don't let that be your out. Don't let that be your escape route necessarily for everything that might be uncomfortable. But it is a promise that I think that Jesus is making in the sense that there will be people who won't want to listen to you, and that's okay. Because ultimately, the burden is not on you to convert people. The burden is not on you to open up people's ears and have them believe. That's, that's his. That's God's. He does that. The burden is on us as ambassadors to simply share that message. So, we don't shy away from difficult or tense conversations. In fact, I would argue that you will be given opportunities to press into those situations. And it may look, it may look like a, they're about to push back, push back, push back, but then what does God say about breaking down barriers and walls? And then they tumble, and then you're actually able to share that, and their ears are open, and they're saved. Like, these are, these are, these are things that can happen as we're fulfilling that work of ministry. But it does mean that should you come up against extreme hatefulness, um, you don't need to fight fire with fire. That's the ultimate thing here, right? In fact, I think we're all called specifically to not do that. So, going back to week one, hospitality is inherently built upon peace. Your homes will be marked by peace. Your relationships will be marked by peace. Your interactions with neighbors, coworkers, etc., will be marked by peace. 
would you consider your interactions with all strangers or outsiders right now to be peaceful? Like in your heart right now, would you consider the way that you interact with people to be ultimately peaceful all the time? Some of you might say yes, and I think that that's a gift. And I can say, honestly, it's a confession, if anything, that sometimes my words and my actions towards people is not as peaceful. And it doesn't have to be outright violence um, to necessarily be non-peaceful, right? Like, if you're cold or neutral or aloof, like, that's not peaceful. It may not feel like you're lighting a fire and throwing a bomb, but it's not necessarily the same as true warmth and Christian hospitality. And what do we say every week as we're fixing to head into the sermon, right? As Christ has extended peace to us on the cross, so too do we turn around and greet others in Jesus' name. Like, these things that we practice liturgically every Sunday morning are actually meant to help carry us into the week and do those same things around our dinner tables. So, if all three of these tables are built upon peace, um, that's where the dinner conversation can begin. So, these are all the ways in which we talked about the gospel, right? And I think Caitlin actually mentioned that last week when we were brainstorming um, how to then move into something that more, has more meaning. And she said, um, have a spiritual conversation, right? So the question is, who has ideas on how to talk about spiritual things with people? How do you actually engage in that spiritual conversation? What else? Thank you. Absolutely. I'm going to be repeating some of these for the podcast and the Zoom. Um, so your, your question is, how is your heart as like a little foot in the door of let's go deep? Will you take that invitation? I think that's great.
What's your story? Yeah. Sorry, this is super hot, Mike. It's all right. And I think you raise a good point that this is, you mentioned if you're a little bit more comfortable with someone. So learning um, at what point you are in the relationship with someone and engaging that early on will be helpful in discerning when it's appropriate to jump into those things. And often that's earlier than you think it is. Um, sometimes you can jump right into those conversations. Like it, you, the Lord may prevent, prevent, present you with an opportunity right off the bat. Um, but also... Maybe it'll take a little bit more time. Maybe it'll be a month or two or several dinner conversations before you jump into that. Um, but it's still an opportunity to engage in those ways. So what else? What are other ways that we can turn the conversation to spiritual things? So yeah. asking why. Yeah, start asking why. Did you have something else? I was going to say it's wise to ask the why. <laughs> so I have a, a good example of this, and I think what's the beauty of that standpoint or that, that way is that anything that is seemingly innocuous can be turned into something that's spiritual, right? And it can start as simple as, like, what book are you reading? So Tate and I were having dinner with a couple last week, and that was the question that we started with, like, what are you all reading right now or whatever? And um, uh, the guy that was, uh, the husband and the couple that was meeting with us started talking about, he was reading um, some spiritual, he basically laid it out on the table for us, but he was just like some spiritual guidance from uh, Hinduism. I think it, like the Holy, tech, the Holy, script, um, Holy Scriptures from the Hindu religion, right? The what? Sure. <laughs> I did, I did, it wasn't exactly that, but it was, it was something else. It was like a kind of a, he started talking about how it was like he was reading some self-help books and that turned into a spiritual guidebook and then he was like exploring all this other stuff. And so like, really we didn't do any work in that other than just asking the question of, hey, what are you reading? And it, like as simple as that, that turned into, oh, why are you reading that? And then he was like, okay, well, I'm reading it because I was feeling down about this or wanted to explore more about what I believed because I grew up Catholic, but I don't believe that anymore. So the dude's just like now like laying it all on the table for us to actually talk about this. But like, I don't attribute that to any skill on Tate or I's part. Um, that's ultimately God just being like, here you go, <laughs> have this conversation with these people right now. And so what is really cool about that is again, that like it was, what are you reading? So that's one way. Go ahead. So what we ended up talking about um, was, Tate, you might have to help me remember exactly, because we ended the... <laughs> oh, Nick said, oh, that sounds neat. That's fired.
so she said, we kind of got into the topic about how different gods all lead to one thing. And we responded with like, okay, this is the way in which we believe about the Trinity and that, what that looks for in the Christian religion. And really where we, pa- we ended up pausing the conversation. So it's not done. This is an open book, right? Um, because our kids were there and they started screaming. And so that will happen. Um, there will be times in which conversations are cut short. But legitimately what, he's, what we ended the conversation on was Sojourn Montrose and the fact that we had planted this church here 10 years ago, and it's, we were talking about the denomination and ultimately what that means to us, and that's where the conversation got cut off. But what he said in the moment was, I really want to hear more about that, about what you believe about this denomination, and he's a coworker, so he's like, we should just talk about it, or I said we should just talk about it at work. Um, and he left for Iceland today. So there is a, <laughs> there is a pause to that conversation um, and I think that a big part of this, the reason that this example I think is actually good or is important to me is that like when we're having these things, there's not like, there's not always periods at the ends of our sentences, yeah. right? Um, it means that through long suffering and long-term low-key relationships, which is what we talk about, that these things will continue to come up. And so where does the burden lie for me in this case? It now relies on consistency and follow-up. So it does mean that now that this conversation has been opened up and the doors are there, now I do need to follow up and go back to him and say, hey, we were talking about that at dinner a couple weeks ago. Would you like to hear more about it? Like that, that's where we open the door there. Um, and to your, to your question about turning it to the gospel, we will get more to that later on. Because she's right. She, Anna brings up a really fantastic point is that um, each of these iterations and getting to the point in which, the, like, remember the end goal is like proclaiming the actual explicit gospel, right? And we've started with bringing people around our table, and now we're moving up to this idea of like, let's talk about taboo topics, which is in this, well, actually in this world right now, spirituality is cool, but maybe talking about Christianity is not. And so how do you make that leap to go from the spiritual things to the, um, to the, explicit. To the explicit truth of spiritual things? Yeah, I wanted to, I, a thing I noticed is a lot more women if I may be so bold, had, had things to say here. I think men in general are a lot more comfortable with long-term relationships that are very surface level. Like you might've seen like the meme of like a husband and wife and the husband comes home for like a four hour golf trip. And she's like, what did you talk about? It's like nothing. And truly like we didn't talk about anything although we were together for a long time. So I think men in general are more comfortable without getting deep, but that, that's something we can overcome. But women are in general uncomfortable with surface these are generalizations, but uncomfortable with like long-term surface level relationships. So use that to your advantage and ask these questions. But um, I'll share, can I share a story? Nick and I are in a long-term book club with three unbelievers. And my favorite example of a spiritual conversation that the Holy Spirit was just very present in. um, Some, I don't remember who asked the question related to the book of like, uh, of we got on the topic of like bad things we've done. And I asked one guy, this guy who is a self-proclaimed Satanist, um, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Like that, <laughs> I don't know why I was so bold. And I wasn't trying to shame him, but that, that, that for guys, like guys are not going to be that offended by that question after you've built up a good relationship. I don't think anybody really would be if you have the foundation of a relationship. And he was like, I'll tell you. And he, he, he wept and he told us, And this is why we haven't given you a formula necessarily of the gospel to present because A, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you in the moment, but B, 
you have to look for the, the open door, right? And at the end of his presentation of the worst thing he's ever done, he said, but I choose to not let that define me. And I said, why not? On what basis is that not who you are? And he was like, you remember that? Mm -hmm. He said, uh, I don't know. I think I've learned from it and grown from it. But I said, but aren't we who we, what we do? And you, you guys know what I'm getting at this. Because for any of y'all, that would be a horrible pastoral moment. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, I can say, that doesn't define you. Why doesn't it define you? Because Christ's righteousness defines you. But for him, that's not true. So in that moment, he, I just got to challenge him a little bit. I backed off. I wasn't like, no, you're a bad person. You're a bad person. Shame, shame, shame. I just said, if you are what you do and you believe that in your, your, we are defined by our actions and this is what the world believes. We are what we do. At the same, it's very paradoxical. At the same time, if we've done something bad, it doesn't define us. Why not? We have an answer for that. That is a spiritual conversation you can have. We have an, a great answer for that. I am what I, what I do, if not for the blood of Jesus. It's such, a, it's such an amazing moment. Um, I'm, we're still working on Maurice, but Nick ended up videotaping him that night saying, I wish this were true. And if Jesus manifested in front of me right now, I would believe. And we're like, will he? And he did. <laughs> But Nick, Nick videotaped it because he said, we're going to show that at your baptism. And we're, we're, we're prayerful. We're hopeful. Sorry, did I take, steal your, a story of yours? No. No, that was, and I think one thing that I'll point out about that, we talked about this last week when we were talking about being hospitable um, and inviting people to your table. You don't have to do it alone. Um, if, you're, if you're a roommate with someone, that is someone that you can do with. If you're not a roommate with someone, you live alone, there's someone else in your parish right now who I'm sure would be willing to join with you in that, or just another friend in our church. We're not in the same parish, but we do have this long-term low-key book club that we've been a part of for a long time, and it, I, tr truthfully, it means a lot to have. I hate it when Reed's not there for whatever reason, and I hope he thinks the same when I'm not there, but um, because, and not that I don't think that I can do it on my own per se, but there's, there's a lot of piggybacking that comes in, like Reed's saying this, and then we'll have a side conversation with someone else, and then like that will turn into a spiritual conversation, and then it'll just turn into this whole thing, and um, Again, as I talked about with what, we, what Vanessa was saying earlier, like this is something that's been going on for eight years. Um, so we built up to that. Like it wasn't like that in the very beginning. Um, but if we believe in this long-term low-key and if we believe in starting somewhere, we can get to that point that ultimately we see these things happening. And I do hope by the grace of God that those guys will ultimately hear the gospel message one day and believe it. Uh, and they have heard the explicit gospel <laughs> probably more than they care to at this stage in time. But...
we will correct that error as we go on. So I think we, we have a lot of examples, right? And I think one of the, another one of the best places to start is just consider yourself. Like, what, where are places that Jesus has met your needs um, and healed your wounds or freed you from bondage of sin or, met, like, done anything, answered a prayer? Um, ultimately, like, you're not, you're a Christian, and so you're not of this world, but you're still in this world, and that means that the same cares and worries and fears that you have, your neighbors probably have on some level too, right? So engaging in meaningful conversation about those things and having a story to start with is important. So, like, that comes into asking things about, um, like, we talked about some overall examples, but, like, how's work? Okay, so that's a really basic question, right? Um, but see where that goes, and then ultimately, like, maybe ask a question about um, how does work affect your home life? Because I can say from, in a way that has, is significant to me, if I get stressed at work and have a bad week at work, ultimately that causes me most of the time to sin in some way against my family, and ultimately I have to pray for, I have to confess that and ask for forgiveness from Jesus to do those things, right? Like, this is a real practical example which work affects me. Um, and so if that's true for me, it's probably true for someone else, particularly the people I work with. Like, they probably have a similar thing. So it's, it's being able to ask that question and say, okay, like, how does this, this has been a really crappy week. How are you doing at home? Like, one, it's going to feel weird. It, it really will. Um, and probably you're going to get a weird look from the person that you're asking. But the thing is, people love to talk about themselves, um, even if they're hesitant at first, if you're consistently asking and having intentional attempts to truly get to know a person, um, the likely result is that they will share more intimate details about their lives. I, I have not yet really seen an example in which that's not true. Some may take longer than others. Like, it may take a really long time to get to that, but ultimately, if you can consistently ask and have a genuine desire to get to know someone and the problems that they have, like really knowing their problems, um, they're going to open up. Because that is actually different. Nobody wants to know about what's going right. Like, think, think about the whole, like, how's your day going? Like, most people want to, like, if you ask someone that, or if they are asking you that, they want you to say, it's great, or it's fine, or it's going okay. Like, if you're like, hey, my day's really bad because I felt the crushing weight of my sin, <laughs> um, they're probably going to be like, nah, I didn't want to hear that. Um, we don't need to go into all that. But if you're asking that to somebody as a Christian who knows how important that is and how much it affects you, I think that there, you, will, you will be pleasantly surprised that people will want to talk about those things with you. Um, and while you're listening, like that active listening, like listen for those worries, those fears, anxieties, like in Reed's example, like what's the worst thing you ever did and someone actually shared that, like obviously pay attention to that. <laughs> pay very deep attention to that. Really latch onto it as they're talking. Um, and embed it so that when you continue to have conversations about those, with those people later on, you can be praying in the meantime for them. Um, in many cases, they're probably, like, especially in the first thing, like, they may have a secular response, like, oh, it's fine, everything's okay, um, I got trouble with my kids, but they're just kids, and it's cool, um, or, yeah, my wife and I are fighting a little bit, but that's what husband and wives do, right, you know, the old ball and chain, like, they may make a dumb joke about that, um, which we know as Christians is, like, that's, that's totally opposite the image of what Christian marriage looks like, um, so when you consider yourself in that and knowing those things, like you know how the Father, Son, and Spirit have helped you. Um, and turning this conversation in the first place is like ultimately, like I, literally what I'm saying is that that's a, like if someone, you ask somebody that question, 
um, and they responded in a way, you can say, that's a really interesting perspective on how you've dealt with this thing. Would you like to hear how I've addressed that in my life? Like, the, speaking of formula, like, this is more formulaic than what we were talking about. And I'm not saying you have to say it exactly like this. But actively listening and engaging in what they're talking about, wanting to hear their worries and fears, and then offering to share your perspective on that is a great place to start and being able to jump into those spiritual conversations. And I think the key there is that you have to be willing to. And we talked about this last week about guarding our time, resources, and everything. Like, <laughs> I can tell you, there are some times when I, I know that I'm like, I like, I'm like, no, I got to do my duty. And I'm like, I got to ask this question to this person. And they're fixing to drop a bomb on me. And I'm like, I really don't want to hear because I got to go. Like, that's going to happen too, probably. Um, but, again, this is an opportunity for us as Christians to lay down those things in our lives that we have held sacred that shouldn't be. Um, and say, you know what, I can, internally, I can be late to this next thing, or I can not get lunch right now, or I can decide to go spend money on dinner for this person because they really need to talk. Like, those are things that can happen, um, and that you'll, like, I think that you'll be, present we will be presented with time and time again opportunities to do this, because the Lord is gracious and continuing to do that, and we need simply just respond. So, almost always get yes. Like, it, because it's the most awkward thing in the world for them to say no to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, and, uh, like, like, so just, just think. Um, following up with your, I guess, story about your friend who went to Iceland, um, and how now the, the idea is now consistency and follow-up. What happens if, like, you follow up and all of a sudden there's kind of, like, new walls? Yeah, like they don't want to talk about it? Okay, so, yeah, so let's play this out. Potentially, I could, they're on vacation. They're not in Iceland forever. So they're going to come back in two weeks. And I could go to their office and be like, hey, remember when we were talking about this? Do you want to talk about it? And so it could be like, no, I don't want to talk about that at all. Or it could be more subtle, like, hey, I'm really busy right now. I don't want to, like, let's talk about it later. Um, those are all things that could happen. And I think ultimately our call again as Christians in this case is to keep the door open and continue to be consistent with that call. So, like, potentially, I'm not saying it has to be like this every time. Maybe I asked 10 times and he never wants to talk about it. I think at that point I could probably say, cool, let me know when you're ready. And let's talk about something else. And continue to build and maintain the relationship in that moment, um, but don't necessarily push it to the point where he's like locking his door so I can't get in. Like, I think that would be counterproductive. Um, but what I do think will likely more happen is that like, if you were con continuing to be persistent and show um, yourself to be genuine and wanting to know, like what we just talked about, I think eventually in most cases people will say, yeah, let's talk about it. Either to shut you up or because I've actually kind of come around and decided that that's something that I'm interested in talking about. And I think maybe where you're going with that too is that like, uh, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if people, like, because this is, uh, we see it when people have really, like, when they bring their walls down and have really, really, uh, if people are crying and have, are sharing their hearts very openly um, and being very vulnerable to you in a moment, I would not be surprised if later down the road at a different time and place they're, like, they're more guarded. Because um, we're all like that. I mean, who's not like that? Um, so, 
I can think of so many times people shared the gospel with me and I didn't <laughs> respond. And so it'll, there'll probably be times when you are planting seeds and sharing and loving people and it it's reaped somewhere down the road. And I wanna say, let's be encouraged and have faith that whatever time and prayerful energy you spent there with people it didn't it's just because you're not going to see the the fruit <laughs> doesn't mean it wasn't worth worthy and valuable yeah that's so good and i was thinking along those lines of both these things i've heard a quote that my parish has now heard like 50 times because i say it a lot um of okay you've shared the gospel you feel like you've been faithful you've been in this person's life you've taken advantage of those things and they, those walls have just stayed up um the best advice I've heard in that scenario is just be their friend, stay long-term steadfast friend, wait for their life to fall apart and be there to help pick up the pieces. And really, because all of us have had those moments probably, and if you haven't, it's coming where your life falls apart, whether it's a job, a relationship, a family member, and we need each other to help pick up the pieces and they don't have anybody. The first person they're gonna think of is the person who wanted to go deep with them. It's, it's what's going to happen, it's happened to me where I've tried to be faithful with this guy for a long time and then him and his wife's life fell apart and he called me, not a Christian, he's still not a Christian, but he just said, I don't know who to talk to and I figured you think about God. <laughs> like, yeah, I try, I try to, you know? <laughs> so like just, the, the key of being long-term, not, not, maybe not seeing the final fruit and just being a, a person in their life, even if you're not saying, can we talk about Jesus yet? Can we talk about Jesus yet? Can, you know, who they think when they need to figure out something that's deeper than this. Because when your life falls apart, you're looking, you're grabbing for anything. What, what, this can't be it. And they're right. It's not it. They need something more. Yeah, the, the addition was offer to pray for them. And most people will take you up on that. <laughs> I got a good story about that. So, and I'm thinking of James right now because he laughed at me this weekend about the, this. So in an effort to share another self-deprecating story about myself. Um, so two months ago, I was getting a haircut and I was, I rode my bike there. So I'm wearing now bike shorts instead of a swim short, but I'm wearing bike shorts and a jersey. And I just like roll on into the, the haircut place and um, get my haircut, whatever. And th this is the same barber that I've been going to for like four or five years. And we started out the conversation with the normal platitudes and like, uh, <laughs> I won't go into all those details, but at some point he was like limping and I was like, hey, what's wrong with your leg? Like, are you okay? And he started, um, he kind of brushed it off, but then like, cause we got to the end of the haircut, he was just like, yeah, I've just been having a really tough time with um, one of my girlfriends and I, my, yeah, my leg, is just like, it's just like really acting up and I don't know if I'm gonna make it through the rest of the day. And so I'm like standing there drenched in sweat and I'm like, well, can I pray for you? <laughs> and at first he was like, I don't really believe in that sort of thing, but I guess it can't hurt. And so then I was like, well, where does it hurt? <laughs> and he was like, well, right here. And I was like, well, can I put my hand on your leg? <laughs> um, 
And he was, he kind of looked at me and was like, I guess. And so I prayed for him, right? So again, picture this in a bike suit and then praying for him and then like, like paying for my haircut and leaving because he was just like, cool. And I was like very, it was clearly like kind of awkward, not just kind of, it was awkward. And, but in that moment, like speaking of being able to be open to what the whole, like I felt the whole time I was getting my haircut, I was like, I got to pray for this guy. Like I really felt like it was like, like burning, like I got to do this. And like, I didn't want to do it <laughs> for all the reasons I just said and the circumstance being pretty weird. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, but I did. And so then a month later, I'm getting my next haircut and he didn't act weird or anything. He was just like, um, just kind of talking like the normal whatever. And I was like, hey, so uh, how's your leg been? And, <laughs> and he goes, well, you know, it's the strangest thing. Like after you prayed for it, it stopped hurting. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and so we, like, and he, he then proceeded to talk about the situation with his, his dating situation and how it was actually improving. And, like, he was feeling like he needed to essentially settle down. Like, he was basically saying, I'm getting my life in order. And, like, all these good things are now happening to him. And I'm not saying that attributed necessarily to the prayer that I gave to him. But, like, in that moment, I was able to be like, hey, I'm really glad I got to pray for you for that. And... It's funny, because then I have his, his cell phone, and I texted him after I left. I was just like, hey, I prayed for you. Or, like, I was just like, hey, thanks for sharing all these things. I'm really glad to pray for you. I'm really glad. I, that I praise God that your leg felt better for that. And I know you don't believe in it, but I do believe in the power of prayer and, like, the fact that this is something that can, that can actually have a physical change to your life. And if you ever want to talk about that anymore, um, let me know. Well, he did not respond to that, but I have a haircut on Friday. <laughs> so... I'm really excited. I legitimately am really excited to see where the conversation goes on Friday. And maybe, it'll, maybe it won't be anything. Maybe we'll just sit there and I'll get my haircut and I'll leave. But, like, the, the point is that if we don't take those leaps of faith and step out and actually have that, then there won't ever be that opportunity, right? Like, the, it's a, it's, God is setting the stage. Again, the harvest is there, and now we are ambassadors and being workers on his behalf to do that. Um. And that is where faith comes in, right? Like, it's in our world, in our culture, it is, um, it's cool to be spiritual. And I think this is, like, the struggle that Anna's talking about is that, like, you can talk um, about spiritual things and it'd be totally fine, um, even among atheistic crowds, uh, like, that we have experienced in our book club. Like, it's, it's still, it's like, you do you and you believe in that, so it's cool. Um, but the thing about the gospel is that it is unapologetically clear that there is nothing inside of ourselves that is powerful enough to overcome our own evil or of our, our own problems, um, and that is not a popular opinion. Like, you telling someone you can't do this by yourself is genuinely probably not going to be received well. But that's the stage in which you get to take the on-ramp to the explicit gospel. So I mentioned last week um, the thing about invited, like I, it was a story where we had the family reunion and I was like mad about uh, my sister's friends being there and I was like, they shouldn't be here. And then I felt convicted because it was like, oh no, this is exactly what we're talking about in this class. Um, and so I ended up staying. So later on in the week, um, how things went in this way. We were all sitting around after dinner and we started talking about politics. So obviously something that can easily come up in any general conversation. Um, and it wasn't heated or anything. It was just like talking about this, that, and the other and how the world's going to hell in a handbasket and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so we were talking about it with this friend and 
Um, throughout that process, it became exceedingly clear to me that what he was particularly worried about is that he's about to be a dad, and he was really worried about bringing his son into the world as it currently exists. And so it's like, like time is going on, we're passing through that. And so at that moment, I asked him, I was like, well, what, what, are, you really, like, like, what are you really worried about? And so the conversation continued, and ultimately like, he came to the point where he was like really scared about being a dad and really scared about messing it up because he does not have any father figures in his life and um, has only had bad examples before him. And so like, if we're looking through this, what is happening, like ultimately we talked about something that does it, it matters, but it's like it's more basic. We moved into something that talks about his problems and like him being ready to share what his actual problem is and his fear is about being a dad. And so at that point, then to Anna's question, this is where it comes in. This, that moment is the opportunity which we all have or in which I took in, in that time, and that was, well, you're not going to be enough. Like, you are not going to have everything you need in you to be a good dad. You will fall short. You will not be able to live up to the standard that you've made for yourself. You will not be able to live up to a standard of which other dads that have set before you. You are probably going to fail in some form or fashion. I mean, through, like, from that point on, I me and my brother-in-law legitimately started talking through all the ways in which Christ fulfills that for us, that our strength to be a good dad comes from him. And then when we do fail and when we do um, mess up, that it means that we confess and we repent for that sin that we had in our lives. And that ultimately any hope that we have of our our children growing up, um, in his words, to be okay, ultimately is going to come from the Lord's favor and the Lord's work in our lives and through us onto them. And so you asked how to move into that explicit gospel conversation. I don't necessarily, again, like Reed was saying, I don't have a formula for you. But once you have started engaging in those problems and those fears and you hear something that's generally talked about in a spiritual manner, um, there will be an opportunity for you to latch on to one word. This is what Reed was talking about when he said, what is the worst thing you ever did? Like, that's, again, going back to that. Like, we don't have, I didn't work, I didn't bring this up and I didn't start talking through, like, like Reed said, in the beginning, this happened and this happened and this happened. Um, but I did pinpoint specifically that you are not enough on your own. You have fallen short and will fall short, ultimately, of the glory of God in this case, in every case. Um, and the only way to live up to anything is to die to yourself and to live in Christ. And we, there were, like, I did specifically say, like, the only way that you're going to be okay in this is that if you trust your life with Jesus. He's not a Christian. And he's actually currently, like, working through what that means and is seeking or searching through that. Um, but, like, in that moment, it was appropriate for me to then start talking about, hey, this is the gospel message. And this is what I believe, and this is what Alec, my brother-in-law, believes. And this is what we hope you believe. And then, at the end of the night, we prayed for him. Um, my dad and my brother-in-law and him sat around the little campfire or whatever, and we prayed for him. So, th- that is just one example of how those things can happen. Um, does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions about that? No? Okay. So if we're looking at that, like if we're looking for a way in which we can take an on-ramp to that explicit gospel conversation, um, if you're faithful in your hospitality, in your Christian hospitality, if you're setting your table, if you're marking your home and self with peace, if you're praying for the opportunity to share the gospel with your neighbor, we believe that we can trust in the Lord in taking that next step, taking that leap of faith, and actually sharing that gospel message. Yeah, so 
as we continue to grow in our Christian hospitality, as we set our tables, as we mark our homes and ourselves with peace, as we pray for the opportunity to share the gospel with our neighbors, we believe we can trust the Lord in taking that next step and sharing those explicit gospel message, that explicit gospel message. So in the friendships that you have right now, like in the neighbors that you've already made, you've, you've likely already established your credibility as a friend. So this is a leap of faith. You do have to press past that fear of rejection and confrontation, and you have to take that spiritual conversation to the next level. And we've said it all, we said it multiple ways through multiple examples, but this could happen all in one go. So in that case, I've only met this guy one other time. And that, that from start to finish, from base conversation to explicit gospel message being shared, it all happened in about two hours. Um, but that's not how it's happened with the book club. That's not how it's happened yet with my barber. That's not how it's happened with XYZ other person. Um, so it may be different for different people. Um, and we aren't discounting the, the power of the Holy Spirit to move in those moments. Like, we can still pray for that. Like, you can legit, if you walk into a conversation and sit down, like, I would encourage you in your next act of hospitality, whether it be at the pool or whether it be at your table, pray beforehand, like, hey, Spirit, I really hope that inviting people to my table right now that you will provide an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Like, it's as simple as that. And it feels, it feels it feels um, silly to me even saying it, but it's not, and that's the thing. Like, that's, a, that's just my mind and a fear that I have, that it's that silly or that simple. But we do acknowledge that this model that is presented relies on time and personal relationship building, right? So in inviting people to the table, um, especially with what we've presented right now, I think it is okay to expect things to take a little bit more time, but don't count it out being just like that. Um... Nick, are you going to talk about the conversion moment? Yes. Okay. We're not, we're not done yet. <laughs> um, okay, so revisiting a conversation about work. Uh, this could have occurred over several months, multiple dinners, driveway chit-chat, whatever it said. So, quote, you have said that this thing is really affecting your home life, and we have talked about how that's a spiritual effect on your people, or a spiritual effect on people. And this is the, this is the, the transition. Could I share with you what I believe to be the root of your problem? which in this case, like if you have established credibility and talk through it and they've said, I really have this problem at home, um, it is okay as a Christian to speak into that person's life and be like, hey, I've noticed this, I've noticed what you're saying, and I think this might be what's happening. You don't have to claim that, like, you, you're not, you don't have to be a counselor, you don't have to be um, PhD educated in that place to make those comments, but as a friend, you would expect that from someone else, right? Like if you're asking someone for advice or talking about something, like sometimes you don't want anyone to say anything, but a lot of times you're like, hey, give me insight into your life or into my life? What is your perspective on this? And I think it's okay for us to then ask other people, like, hey, I think that might be, you have a, I think you're being a little selfish. Um, and then ultimately, if you say that, and if they don't immediately walk out of your door, um, would you be open to hearing about Jesus and the new life that he has? Would you be open to hearing about Jesus and how, like, ultimately, what I have been called to in, in my life with him is that I have to lay my life down because he laid down his life for us. Like, again, it doesn't have to be as cookie cutter as this, but that is the transition phrase. Like, that is something that you can use to then move into how does the gospel have an answer to your problems and the gospel have an answer to your questions. Um, and here's the thing. Your first gospel presentation, the first time you actually do that and go to it, it could be convoluted. It could be distracted. There could be something going on in the background. It could be misunderstood. 
Um, but ultimately, if you're doing it, if you're taking that leap of faith, it is faithful. You're being faithful. You're being faithful with the call to be an ambassador. And that is what God is going to honor. It doesn't have to be perfect. It really doesn't. And like uh, what Ez said earlier, like implanting that seed, even if it doesn't come to fruition in the way that you would hope and want it to in that exact moment, um, you are planting a seed. And now you have the opportunity for either someone else to come along and water it, or you get to water it, or somebody gets to water it. And then as we continue to pray for that harvest, someday someone will see that person be harvested and the fruit come from that. And a new brother or sister being added to the family. So, knowing a person and listening to a person informs how we share with a person. That means that we have active listening. That means that we have follow-up. That means your core strategy can say the same, um, but you tune your specific interactions to cater to individuals. So what does that mean? That means that time of day might be a factor. Um, is it better to talk to a neighbor during breakfast time in the morning, like when you're drinking coffee, or is it better like late night or evening time, twilight, taking out the trash, whatever it may be? Um, is the pool hopping at 2 p.m., then that's your time. That's when you go. Um, <laughs> I think uh, last week Anna was talking about like leaving time open, so this could be a chance interaction that you just happen to be outside playing, um, like doing anything, sitting and reading a book, um, anything like that that you're leaving space open for an interaction to occur, but it all could also mean that you're scheduling time to meet with your neighbors. It just depends on who they are and what they best respond to. Um, we talked about, we hit on this a little bit about fighting fear and discouragement. Um, so Luke, going back to the Luke passage, Luke 10, 10, it says when you're not received. So like ultimately, this is the question that you were asking about what do you do if the, the walls go back up. Um, again, I'll reiterate this, don't give up. Um, you're called to be faithful in sharing and ministering. It is not your responsibility for conversion. Um, you're not the person that's literally raising someone from dead to life, to death to life. That is God's responsibility. But you can pray against roadblocks. You can continue to be consistent. Um, and then in that moment, like, you can acknowledge that some people may not be people of peace in this case. And we said it before, don't close the door. Um, this is not our job to decide in this case who is, like, ultimately going to get in or out. Um, but you may, but you're not generally beholden to them indefinitely, Right? Um, and this is nuanced. It's not for us to say who is and who isn't a candidate for sharing. As far as we're concerned, everyone should be. Um, but we must pray, 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 continue to pray, pray some more, and then look how the Spirit is moving in their lives and see if that, that there's a kink in the armor or a crack. And that's your opportunity to move. And then as, as said what you said earlier, again, maintain your position of peace and continue to be a person of peace. Um, continue to be a friend. Continue to be... Call me if you ever need anything. We don't have to talk about that right now, but call me if you need me. Um, and then ultimately err on the side of it could happen rather than it's not likely to happen, right? Um, and this is like something that I particularly struggle with in the sense of like looking at someone and decide, like I, I am the best person in my own mind about judging who is ready to hear the gospel or not. <laughs> and that's just stupid. And I have to confess often to that fact and say like, no, it's, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be the judge there, and it could happen. I do believe that if God raised a dead body from the ground, that he can be an impact of someone's life that I think is too far gone. Um, what did you ask about? I, I was, uh, you mentioned a little bit, I was, I was thinking about the conversion moment, and you, you kind of just said it, of this being like, you can't, we can't be eloquent enough, we can't, 
say the right words in the right order or show up in the right way every single time. Like there's no perfect key that you can produce to have somebody convert to believe this. That is up to the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do is be faithful. I heard an analogy of, uh, of this pastor talking about playing basketball with his kids and like his two four-year-olds playing against these fifth graders. And he just told his kids, just throw the ball to me and I will just stand above them and put it in the hoop. And that's what we do with the gospel. We, we faithfully just lob the gospel to our father and let God dunk by the Holy Spirit, the truth of, of his grace into their hearts. And to me, that analogy sticks because it's, um, I, I feel like a kid throwing the basketball to dad when I say, I'm just going to give this a shot. Um, have you talked about, thought about Jesus? You know, like whatever it might be, um, it's okay. This, this should be a warm blanket on our ministry, right? We, we, get, we get to, you said at the beginning, we get to go to work with dad. What does that mean? It means we get to throw the basketball to dad and let him shoot the basket for us. It, it means we have to shoot the bat. Like he's asking us, like, I want to work through you to communicate my truth and grace to people. He wants to use us. That's a beautiful reality. But, but he doesn't need us to save his people. He wants to use us to save his people, but he, he needs us because he's chosen to. Um, but it's his Holy Spirit that will make the heart. Every time somebody said, I think I believe this, I've always been like, now? Oh, okay. This is the moment. <laughs> you, you believe this. I didn't, it wasn't a more compelling argument is what I'm trying to say. It was, it was the Holy Spirit softening a hard heart. Um, and so the reason we're talking so much about don't get them to say the prayer, right? We're talking about how to be faithful, how to be gospel fluent enough, which you all are, and you can grow in, and all of us can grow in, but how to be gospel fluent enough to see the opportunities to share the gospel, continue to be faithful with those opportunities and wait to see what the Lord will do. But if we're not creating space for those opportunities to arise and then taking advantage of those opportunities when they come, then we will never see what the Lord does. We get this great opportunity to, to be at work with dad and that's um, a great honor, you know? back row um yeah I was gonna add when you were talking about like pointing people pointing people to ultimate truth I was just thinking about how like the scripture doesn't fail us when we point people like when we get engaged in conversation a good way to end it a lot or to like not to leave it but a, a place to turn to is like would you be open to reading the Bible with me or have you ever read you know this particular part of the Bible um and like offering to do that together or offering some guidance on like what they can read. Um, because, you know, God, like we say every Sunday, like speaks through his word and that's where we turn. And um, like several years ago, there was another pastor in Houston, Jeremiah Morris, who did a evangelism training at, at Sojourn and kind of talked through or taught like walking through the book of John with somebody as an evangelism opportunity. And, um, I did that with a coworker of mine several years ago. And we just talk about like knowing people and knowing how to connect. Like we, we ended up talking a lot about like mental health and mental health struggles. And, um, and she was very like vulnerable and, and I was too. And um, I ended up asking her or telling her like, hey, there's this new like study that I 
learned recently or knew about that goes through the book of John in the Bible, like, would you be open to doing it with me? Because uh, there was a lot of, like, half-truths and stuff like that and the things that she was saying. or She was kind of, like, presenting herself as a Christian, but it was really clear that she wasn't. And um, we went, we were going through the book of John together, and we, we probably got, like, three-quarters of the way through it. And she was like, hey, I just, like, I don't believe this. I don't really want to keep doing it. And to me, like, I didn't walk away discouraged from that at all because I was like, she has seen the reality, like, she has seen what the scripture reveals about Jesus to us and has said no. And like for now, you know, who knows? But, um, I was like, I think that that will be very confronting at some point of like, Oh wow. Like I can, I was like comforting myself with these like half truths, but they're actually not true. Like that's not who Jesus is. And I think like where she had landed with all of that was like, I don't really believe that God can really love me. Like how the Bible says, Um, but anyway, so it's just interesting to like turn to the scripture and to like read it with people and to find out or to see like what they actually believe or don't believe. It's very like clarifying. Um, and I know Peyton has done that with a couple of people in his life and had very different outcome. Like they're like, yeah, like I want to pray. Like I want to know Jesus now, you know, like very, you know, and then, um, and then some people walk away like, I don't know, I'm not sure. Like that was cool. Um, but Anyway, all that to say, like, we don't, we have this amazing tool in the Bible and that we don't have to, like, know every answer we can say, like, hey, let's look at it together and see what it says. Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for, um, like, the, the example you gave of the basketball <laughs> Um, it sort of takes the pressure off. <laughs> like, it's not even about us. And it feels that way when I heard you say that. Um, I think Nick said something like, don't be discouraged, just just give it a shot. <laughs> um, it really helped me to, if I was nervous about talking to somebody or there's a really hard situation at the apartment complex, I don't really know how to approach. And you just made me realize it's not my responsibility to worry about that, just to love them. So throw the basketball. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so in the same, in the same training that Caitlin was talking about, he, uh, Jeremiah used the phrase, take shots on goal, um, which we can translate tonight into alley-oop, the, take, throw up the basketball for the alley-oop, right? Um, so if we're talking about now getting to that point, or so let's assume that you have made a friend, you've invited them to your dinner table or your pool or your run club or your book club or whatever, all that's happened. You've, you have displayed Christian hospitality to them. Now, you have had a spiritual conversation with them or continuing to have spiritual conversations with them. Um, there will be, like, like Reed said, there will be that moment in which you can latch onto it. Um, and there's, I'm gonna give you some questions that you could ask to make that final leap. Um, these are, they're, uh, they feel, I think they're good questions. I think that they might feel like if you wrote them down and read them verbatim, they would feel weird to say in that situation. Um, and that's why I would encourage you that these are general ideas that you could ask. These are general ways in which you could present them. Um, but these are ways in which you could present the gospel message and take that alley-oop moment. Um, do you know what it means to be reunited with God through Christ? Do you want to be reunited with God? Do you want to know God? 
can I share what I think about what it means to know God? And then ultimately through Jesus. You can go on the offensive. What do you think the Christian message is? What do you think Christianity says? What do you, have you heard of the gospel? What do you think the gospel says? What do you think about how Jesus and the gospel, what do you think about how Jesus and his gospel have affected my life? When you look at me and I proclaim these things as a Christian, do you, do you see some of this? Do you want to be like that? What questions do you have about my understanding of faith or my understanding of spirituality? Or what do you think about my religion? You can say that in those terms. Would you like to sit down? If you, like, I don't have all the answers that you may be searching for, but would you like to sit down and read through a book of the Bible with me? After hearing everything that I've just said, have you ever taken that step of faith in Christ? Would you like to take a step today? <laughs> That's my favorite one. Would you like, and this is my college pastor, um, man, he was so good at it. And it felt, it always felt weird uh, just because that's how we're conditioned in our, in, in the, our worldly mind. But he would truly, he would have a, a spiritual conversation with someone. He would share the gospel and he would say, after you've heard all this, would you like to take a step of faith today? <laughs> and sometimes people said yes, like Caitlin was saying. Like sometimes it, they'll say, yeah, I've heard all this and I believe it. Because hearing the word and having faith that Christ was raised from the dead is the way, vehicle in which God saves people. <laughs> and if he is the Lord of the harvest, he is going to see that that happens. It will. Man, and it's cool when it does. And so if they say yes, if they say yes, I would like to take that leap of faith, man, rejoice. Invite them to ask for forgiveness. Profess faith in Christ. Preach him crucified and resurrected from the dead and believe he died for those sins. I'm going to declare Jesus as Lord of their life and then invite them to be baptized and enter into covenant community with the church. Like, again, these are formulaic things. I don't, accept, I don't expect anyone to word for word go through this with someone, but the idea is that you, you in proclaiming this thing and putting it on a pedestal to say, this is the gospel message, do you believe it? That is the, that's, the, that's the moment. That's it. And everything, all the hospitality that we're doing, all the ways in which we're meeting our neighbors and being people of peace, all the ways in which we are sacrificing ourselves, our time, our money, and our spaces, all the ways in which we are inviting people into community, inviting people to be our friends, all the ways in which we are starting to have more significant conversations with them, maybe even spiritual ones, all the ways in which we are talking about God and religion and, and how you feel and the problems you have, all of that is leading up to the moment in which you get to share the gospel. That is it when we're making disciples. Does anyone feel like, is this exciting to people or is this more like, ooh, this is scary? <laughs> or both? I don't know, you don't have to answer right now. One thing that I would encourage you to do as we're wrapping up here, though, is... Um, is practice. Practice sharing your story. So one thing we didn't touch on too deeply, but like in sharing the gospel message, um, the most effective ones, I think, are the ones that come with our own testimonies, right? Um, because part of what we're doing when we're sharing the message of Jesus and why it matters is that he, is, he has changed our lives. And each of you has a unique, valid, individual, and powerful story. I promise. Every single person in this room, your story is not boring. Your story is not basic. Your story is not mundane. 
Your story is one in which you were dead in your sin and God made you alive in Christ, period. And so in him doing that and in you having, you can fill in the details, you can talk about the ways in which he did that, but then in sharing that story and being able to talk about that with people openly will absolutely invite people into having a more serious conversation about what that means. And that is a great on-ramp to sharing that gospel message too. So work on your testimony. Um, they exist because they're powerful. Um, work on the, your long testimony and your short one. <laughs> you can have an elevator speech and you can have one that takes months to share. Both are good. Um, weave your story into the overarching gospel message. Like we just said, like this is the way Christ has made you. This Christ died for all, Christ died for me. Um, and this is how he died for me. This is the ways in which he has saved me from this particular brand of sin that I have or this particular struggle that I've had my whole life or this particular way in which I had doubt and now I have faith. And then practice telling that story along with the gospel. And who do you tell it to? Well, you can tell it to your neighbors, but you can also start by practicing it with your parish and your renewal group. That is a safe place. In fact, if anything, that's the place where you should be doing it because you will mutually be glorifying God and sharing in the joy of your brother and sister who's sharing how they have come into new life in Christ. Other things that you can do to start beginning this practice, like, again, we talked about it last week, but invite neighbors to a parish or Sunday gathering. Um, I, I know that there's, like, we talked about it last week, where, like Cole said, hey, um, I just want to, we, we eat dinner with some friends. <laughs> do you want to come eat dinner with friends? Um, that's still, I think, a faithful way to start, but also you can move into spaces like, hey, my church meets and gathers formally every Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. And we have dinner together, and we read the Bible. You interested? Just try. I don't think that's all that I got. Do you have anything else? <laughs> it's really anticlimactic. <laughs> I think one other question that I wanted to ask, though, is um, in everything we've talked about that, one of the questions that we've almost always asked in our Wednesday prayer gatherings over the last years is, who is someone in your life that you would want them to know Jesus? Like, we ask that very basic question, and we pray for them. And that's, that is the best place to start. And I'm glad we've been doing it for many, many years. But if you have done that, if you have been to a prayer gathering, if you've ever prayed for someone in your life right now who does not know Jesus, that's a great place to start. Who comes to your mind when we talk about these things? And who would you want to see take a step towards reconciliation with Christ and with God? And then invite them to dinner. Invite them over for dinner next week. Invite them over for dinner next month. Invite them to go hang out and play pool or darts. Invite them to do something. Establish that relationship with them. Get to know them if you don't already. And then start asking about their problems. Start asking about what's going on in their life and having real conversations. And then be prepared because you, don't be surprised when the Spirit then puts it on a platform and says, cool, you're being faithful in this, I'm going to let them open up to you, and now here's your chance. Throw up the basketball. I got it from here. We firmly believe that it can and it will happen because we believe what the Scriptures say, that when we preach Christ and Him crucified, that people hear and they believe and they become sons and daughters of the King and brothers and sisters of the church with us. We believe it can happen. We really do. And you know how I know? Because everyone in this room at some point was not that, and now they are.
Any final questions? All right, let me pray for us.